Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. I'm here with evangelist and pastor Dan Melenkoff, who has made lots of mistakes. And since not just in evangelism. <laughs> so, that's right. So today what we're talking about, everyone, is the common mistakes that we make in evangelism. And since Danny's a guy who's made lots of mistakes mm. in evangelism, I thought he'd be the perfect person <laughs> to get on the podcast. Thank you, Danny, for this joining is, us. This is part one of 20. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, listen, we thought it would be fun as two people who've done evangelistic ministry to, to share what, what are common mistakes in evangelism. So there's a lot that we could talk about. We only have a short amount of time today, so we'll bunch in as much as we can. And I don't know, Danny, do you want to take the floor and get the ball rolling and share maybe a, a common mistake that you've seen being made in evangelistic outreach? Yeah, sure. Well, before we get to the mistakes, um, Matt, I think it's important that whenever you're seeking to to begin a new journey, there's always going to be there's always going to be what we call, I guess, growing pains or mistakes and potholes that you don't navigate very well and you fall in. But the important thing is that you give it a go. You get up and going. And and I remember what Mark Finley, Pastor Mark Finley, shared with us, and he was my number one really evangelistic mentor when it comes to public evangelism. And he said this quote, uh, he said this comment, and I haven't forgotten it. He said, um, the only evangelistic outreach, be it personal evangelism, be it public evangelism, that God can't bless is the one that you don't do. Whatever you do, God can bless regardless of how well you do or don't do with it. So that's the first thing I just want to say. Get out there, give it a go, and and you learn as you go. I guess when it comes to when it comes to mistakes, yeah, there's a whole laundry list that that come to mind. But one of the one of the mistakes is you have a passion in your heart. You have a passion in your heart. You want to share. You're all excited. You're enthusiastic. And one of the one of the mistakes that can, you can make easily, and I've made that, especially in my early days, is not getting a group of people behind you and with you on that journey. And as the church pastor, you're excited, you're up there preaching, sharing, this is what we need to do, this is what we're going to do, but the church members are not really on board. They're not on the journey with you, and God's not able to do what he wants to do because you don't have that buying. So I think... I think the important thing right from the word go is apart from prayer and spending time with God, but asking God to give you a team of people that will go on that journey with you. And as I think about that, I think of Jesus. Jesus could easily have done what he needed to do on his own. And he would have done a 10 times better job than the motley crew that he chose, that he prayed for and then he chose. But Jesus knew that it was in the best interest of the individuals, of his church, of the people, all the way down through for him to have a team. So a team is critical. That's a real good application of that text, like just of the discipleship model. He had a team behind him. Yeah. And sometimes we run forward, fired up and excited, and we don't have our churches fired up and excited. And so therefore, yeah. So I guess maybe doing evangelism when the people are not excited about it, or you could say when there's not revival, when there's not a passion to share and a passion to, to reach out. That's really good, man. So that's really good. So common mistake number one, not having the church fired up yeah. and excited Absolutely. before you, you get involved. Okay, that's fantastic. Okay, so I would say one mistake that I've made in my evangelistic ministry was not doing proper follow-up. You come, a work is done, people get moved by the Spirit, lives beginning to change, and then 
on to the next thing because the, the church calendar only scheduled us to do evangelistic ministry for this month. And then that month is over. So on to the next thing. And we, I've often seen people left in a position where they were half converted or they were accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior and following him and going on that journey. And then the work is dropped. Yeah. And so I think sometimes I've seen that I've lacked the flexibility so that when I come to the end of a quote mission, I, I, I see and realize that, wow, the work's not finished. But since the calendar has scheduled another event after this, we're finished. So we leave the work incomplete and don't finish it when it's finished. So I think soul winning and evangelism is similar to, it's more like starting a business than it is doing a job like where you're on the clock, off the clock. Yeah. A person who's an entrepreneur and starts a business, that person has to just do what needs to be done for the job to get done. Yeah. So it's not the idea, it's not the whole like, I can clock in, I can clock out, now's when I'm doing this, now's when I'm doing that. And so I've made that mistake where this is the time frame within which we're doing, quote, soul winning. And then we've got people on the verge or we've got people just over the line and then we're done. And we should have just on. We had to keep keep the series going. Yeah. If you've got people coming or if you've, whatever the practical application, that's a mistake I've made. Yeah, I think it's really important. We've got to remember, we've got to remember that... When people come to an evangelistic program, they come whether they might have um, a basic understanding of Scripture or, or no understanding of Scripture. I've had both. They come to a series. Uh, they enjoy the messages. Those that continue all the way through the series, they enjoy the messages. They want to sign up. They they want to live in, in harmony with Christ and His will for their lives and all these new teachings, these new exciting teachings from Scripture that they've discovered. They want, they have that in their heart, they want that. But it's just, it's like a little baby. They're now born into this beautiful truth, but like a little baby that needs to be nurtured, that needs to be cared for, that needs companionship, that needs a family of support that surrounds them and needs to continue to learn and grow. So these two, so so people need to continue. So I think one of the greatest pitfalls, and sadly, as Seventh-day Adventists, we fall into this trap and many others, because as a church, since our origins, we have very much been at the forefront of publicly proclaiming mm-hmm. what we believe is God's final message of love to the world, the everlasting gospel. And yeah, as you pointed out, we share and then we pack up and then we move on to something else or somewhere else. And yet these individuals, they need that nurture. That's right. yeah, they need that nurture. They need to be discipled. And that takes time. Mark Finley, once again, back to Pastor Mark Finley, he shared with us the Seventh-day Adventist faith. It's not It's not your t- typical generic Christian faith. We have a faith that is very much attached to every aspect of our lives. It's not just one or two hours a week at church. That's not what our faith is. Our faith is comprehensive of everything. It's a lifestyle faith. And so he said that um, the Seventh-day Adventist faith is not so much taught but it's caught, not taught, but caught. And what he meant by that is individuals, they need to be mentored. They need to be encouraged. They need someone to continue to study with them from the word. They need to be involved in a home group, a small group. They need they need someone to take them out with them as they go out and start reaching out to their family, friends, and um, doing Bible studies with people. They need that mentoring. They need that encouragement. And they at least need, in my experience, between 12 and 24 months to become reasonably or firmly established to to sink in their spiritual roots, to sink in their newfound faith roots so that they won't be moved and that they won't be shaken. And I, I personally believe 
But the reason why we have so many, and I've experienced that sadly in my public evangelism ministry, there are so many that come into come to a meeting, get to the end of the meeting, they get baptized, and we're not. I don't even know if you want to talk about these drive-through McDonald's drive-through baptisms that you know are conducted, especially in the third world where I have been. You know, the retention rate is so low when we don't follow the method of Christ. And we don't take the time to establish people and to ground people and for people to understand what they believe so that they can share it and so on and so forth and friendship and all those things. So I think we do people a disservice. And one of the, and one of the, one of the, we talk about first impressions and the critical importance of first impressions. We all know that these individuals that come along and they hear the, the wonderful Adventist message, which is the greatest message on the planet. They hear it for the first time. They love it. But if they're not nurtured in the right way, that might be the only time we are able to invite them and to introduce them and they may forever be disconnected from this beautiful message and the opportunity to be ambassadors of this message. So it's absolutely critical to follow up. Okay, so I'm going to say something and I was going to ask a question, but I I couldn't think of a question to ask. So I'm just going to make a statement and you can comment. I think a common mistake in in evangelism is doing it half-heartedly or with lazy effort. Jesus, he had to give his whole life in order to provide atonement for the human race. So to make atonement, he had to give everything. And he himself said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. And he's referring to his death for the sins of the world. He's saying the human race is lost and the the Godhead will lose the human race and have to be alone without the human race unless I die, I give everything. And so I think sometimes we believe that we could just pay some money, just allocate some funds for evangelism. We can just do a little of this, do a little of that. And then if the Spirit's with us, then we'll get hordes of converts. And if we, if maybe if we have this kind of music or these kind of lights, and we just think just a little bit of work, a little bit of effort will bring evangelistic success, but I just don't think it does. And so I think a common mistake in evangelism is doing the work of evangelism half-heartedly or lazily, or you could say not being willing to do what you have to, like giving your best. Mm. Not giving your best is a common mistake in evangelistic outreach. And I think we make that mistake a lot. And we live in a world of easy come. We go through a drive-through, we pay a little bit of money, we get this food, we go to a store, there's all the abundance of food, we just take our little plastic card, we get food from all over the world. Everything's fast, everything's quick, everything's easy. Whatever needs we have that we want satisfied, we can have them satisfied within minutes in our modern society. And that's a blessing and that's good. But it's conditioned us to think that contending with Satan over souls is going to be the same way, right? Like we can bring a casual attitude, just a casual disposition into the work of soul winning. And then we're just like, why is it that we can't get success? Because we're contending with supernatural forces who control this world and you're not going to win victories over them giving half-hearted efforts. Mm. And I'm not saying that the success of the work depends upon our effort, but I do believe to a great extent that the blessing of God is contingent upon our efforts. Because if God doesn't see us really caring about this work and really seeing the value of this work and being willing to put our best into it, then why is he going to give the the power of his spirit to us to gain us success? Because that would make us think that we can get God's blessing by giving God virtually nothing. 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think you raise a critical point in that the work of evangelism is moving into the territory of this life and death, eternal life and eternal death struggle that we have going on right now, the great controversy, as we refer to this, this battle between Christ and Satan over the human soul. And so we are entering into this field where it's more intense than the most intense political battle on the planet, the most intense anything you can think of that that we are exposed to here on planet Earth. We're dealing with this spiritual battle that's for keeps. And if we go into it half-heartedly, if you want to if you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a teacher, you want to be a doctor, you need to put your heart and soul into your studies. If you want to be a business entrepreneur, whatever, it matters not. You want to be a polit- politician, regardless of what it is, anything that requires commitment, anything that requires dedication, you need to put your heart and soul into it. And people are willing to put, they're willing to risk health and everything in order to achieve their goals. When it comes to soul saving, when it comes to reaching people for Christ, you pointed out Jesus Christ. He laid everything on the table. When God When the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he gave everything. God was willing to bankrupt heaven in giving Jesus Christ. So he gave everything in giving Christ for our salvation. And if we think, as you pointed out, that this is something that we can just pop in a microwave for three minutes and um, like popcorn, yeah, voila, it's there. We're kidding ourselves because I believe when I read scripture, when I read the New Testament account, when I read through the, the stories of Paul and Peter and their missionary journeys, man alive, I see a struggle. I see them pouring in, investing blood, sweat and tears yes. into the work of evangelism. And I'm deeply ashamed myself. The many occasions when I haven't put in a greater effort, put in a kind of a half-hearted effort. And, and so if we're serious, if we're deadly serious about eternity, and what's involved when we run an evangelistic program or whatever the case may be, a cooking program, a Bible prophecy seminar program, a marriage enrichment seminar, whatever, it matters not. When we're inviting people to come and find out what God has in store for them on that particular subject or whatever, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes and just go to town on on giving it our absolute best. I think of Noah. Noah was an evangelist. You know, what did Noah what did Noah invest? Everything. Literally, he invested absolutely everything. John the Baptist, he was he was preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus. What did he invest? Mm-hmm. Everything. Moses was willing to be used by God. He invested everyone. When I take a look at individuals who God used down through Bible times, the Apostle Paul, Peter, all the disciples, they invested everything. They had nothing left in their account at the end of the day. So they gave everything. Jesus says, if any man comes after me, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and Mm. follow me. Follow you where, Jesus? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Like he's on earth and he's a soul winner. He's an evangelist. He's the premier evangelist. And he is out there seeking and saving the lost. And he's basically saying, you want to come seek and save the lost? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And you don't deny yourself and pick up your cross unless you're going to Calvary. You're you're going to lay your life Mm, down. So he's basically saying, you want to succeed in evangelistic ministry? You're going to have to lay your life down. If you're not willing to lay your life down, you will not achieve success in evangelism. Not the success 
that I want to give you. Heavenly success. Not, yeah, that's right. We basically excuse ourselves because the world is postmodern. Oh, the world is postmodern and everyone's so secular and it's not as easy to win people as it was back in the 50s. And I think to myself, wait a second, I guess the devil wasn't alive in the 50s. And there weren't unique challenges in those older times. Well, Rome wasn't a challenging place to win souls in. Like you could get killed for being a Christian. Hey, you're going to go out into the communities and preach for Christ. And the consequence of people accepting your message is that they get thrown into the Colosseum and they get eaten by lions. Wow, that had to be really easy back in those days. They just won thousands of people because there were no postmodern secular thinkers. No, they won people because they had the power of the Spirit and they were willing to lay yeah. down their lives yeah. for the sake of the mission, and we're not. And I think, honestly, that's the, that's the biggest mistake and that, we make. And that is what attracted people to Christianity. When the pagans, these postmodern secularists in the first century, when they saw that these followers of Christ were not afraid of anything, that they had joy in their hearts, that they had the peace of this one who they followed, the Lord Jesus Christ, they wanted to have a piece of that. Yep. And when they saw them, you know, singing on their way to the Colosseum and into the Colosseum before they got ripped apart by the lions and all the wild beasts, as they saw them singing with peace in their hearts and and the joy of the Lord on their faces, they said, Oh, man, we want that. How can someone who's dying be happier than I who am living? Absolutely. It's just phenomenal. And so, and who was it? Was it, I can't remember who it was, Tertullian or one of the, one of the early church fathers where he said, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the gospel. The more they killed, the more Christianity expanded. And so that's why we know that Satan so, went to plan B. If you can't beat him, join him. And that's exactly what he did. And so if we had that, if we, and I think like, let's, that was 2000 years ago, Matt, let's go to today. You go to places, and I haven't been to China, but I'd love to go one day, but I've just heard stories out of China. The church there, they're doing it tough. I'm talking about the church in general, Christianity in general. You've got the underground church, and then you've got your, your above ground, I think, what do they call it, the three sisters or something. Anyway, the state, the state endorsed church, if we could call it that, the one that the state monitors and allows you to do this, that, and the other. But anyway, whether you're in line with the state or whether you're underground, it's hard yakka there in China. And the stories that I have heard are so inspiring. They're so humbling because I can see I am so far away from where they are. They're on their knees seven days a week, getting together at four or five o'clock in the morning before work, praying, agonizing with the Lord for souls, going out, sharing. People are coming in to the church, not just the Adventist church, but the Christian church at large, underground, above ground, whatever. They're coming in their droves and they're willing to go to prison for the sake of their faith and people are just, they're being attracted of the numbers. We don't have accurate numbers for Christianity in China, but they're in the, they're saying they're like 100, 200 million people, even more. It's growing exponentially. Why? Because they have that early first century Christian fervor, willing to give no matter what, willing to, well, like you said, take up your cross, be willing to lay down your life and follow me. They are doing it, and God is blessing. So good. Okay, brother, we're coming down to the end of our time frame here. I told you, so, this is part one of 20. No. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so I'm just going to mention three things that yeah. I've thought about, and I'll, I'll let you comment on this, but I may say a word or two about each of these common mistakes. One is that it's a common mistake to believe that evangelism is an event. But evangelism is not an event. It's a lifestyle. So the Bible says, be instant in season and out of season. And so sometimes we try to put God, we say this, it's, com- it's almost like cliche to say this, but we put God in a box. Like he can only 
win souls for us at this particular point in time. But we have to understand, I think, and realize that God is not on our time schedule. So it's good to be organized and and scheduled and say, okay, we're going to do lots of community service here. We're going to do lots of seed sowing here. We're going to do lots of, we're going to do reaping here. It's good to function like that and to be organized. And I'm not speaking against that. But I have found that success in soul winning oftentimes comes when you capitalize on just God moments that happen. So like a door opens up in someone's life and you capitalize on that opportunity. So I'm at the concert, the Christmas Mm. concert, and some seekers come and I happen to be sitting next to them and the woman next to me is crying. And then I look at her and say, what's going on? Are you okay? And then she spills her guts and says Mm. some deep and profound story. She tells me some story about her life or whatever. Okay, so I might think in my mind like, we're at the Christmas concert. Have a nice night. But a wonderful opportunity for evangelism and ministry has opened up in front of me and I need to take advantage of it. So I think a common mistake in evangelism is that we don't realize, number one, that evangelism is a lifestyle. And number two, we don't have our spiritual antennas perked and ready for whenever the evangelistic moment can come, if that makes sense. So yes, be organized and structured and all that kinds of stuff, but don't be bound by your structure and realize that results can come in the most interesting ways. Anywhere at the petrol station, wherever. I think one of the keys for me anyway, whenever I have that opportunity and those opportunities come, they come randomly at any given time. And I ask myself, am I willing to invest the time? Because yeah, if you seek for the Lord to take this conversation, this journey with this person to the next level, you need to be willing to invest time. And so am I willing to invest the time in potentially leading this person further in their journey. And often we we balk at that. We think of our schedules, our priorities and whatever, and we're like, I'm not really quite sure that I'm willing to invest that time. I don't think I have that time. And yeah, look, yeah. nice day. Have a nice day. I'll keep you in prayer and and, and that's it. So, totally. So I think, totally. I think that's what it boils down to. Dude, it, it reminds me of Matthew 25, what you just said. Lord... When did we see you? Mm. Lord, when did we see you? In as much as you did not do it to one of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. And so oftentimes we have these opportunities where someone's in front of us, they're hurting. Yeah. And we are bound by our time frames and our time schedules, and we won't sacrifice our time to minister to that person at that moment. Mm. It's not the time for evangelism. It's not the time for ministry. It's not the time for service. And so I think we miss opportunities it there. It doesn't fit into my schedule. When, when Jesus said to the disciples, look around you, the fields are white for the harvest. The Samaritans did come. But I think there's a larger message to, to his statement, and that is there's results to be found all around you, but you can't see them. You can't see them. Like, look around. There's opportunities everywhere. So a great mistake in evangelism is not realizing that there's opportunity everywhere and having the spiritual eye salve to see when you have an opportunity that's being afforded to you by God and that there's Jesus in the person of this needy individual who you can minister to. Yeah. Okay, bro, so uh, I want to just share one last thought and I, and I hope I could share it well. And then I want you to give, you know, take us home. You'll share the last little bit. Common mistakes in evangelism. We've covered like four. So I see evangelistic ministry as worship. So when a church commits to reaching out to its community for Christ's sake, to preach God's everlasting gospel, and to call people to repentance in Jesus' name, I believe that's an act of worship to God. It's, it's a way to worship and honor God. Now, w- when you see it like that, I think you can enjoy it no matter what the results. Because you're not judging yourself or gauging your success based upon 
the numeric outcomes. You're judging yourself on whether or not you worshiped God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Did you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul as you went about doing the work that he's commissioned you to do? So my, you can say, you can look back and you can say, hey, I don't judge my success based on we baptized 16 people, we baptized three people. And this year we baptized 57 people. You judge your success based on did we serve God with all of our heart, minds, mm, and souls? Yep. And did we worship him truly in the way that we perform the ministry he committed to us? A lot of people look at evangelism like they look at investing. So I've invested in my lifetime, in, in the housing market, I've invested in cryptocurrencies, I've invested in different markets. And I basically, the strategy is I invest a certain amount of my money in the hopes of a certain return. If I don't believe I'm going to get the return commensurate to my investment and the risk of my investment, I don't make the investment. That's my logic. That's my yep. thinking. Yep. I hope to get a return on my investment. And so I do a cost-benefit analysis. Is the potential of benefit or is the potential of profit sufficient for me to take the risk of this investment. And I just, if at the end of the day, if I don't believe I have a high enough chance of getting a return on my investment, I don't make the investment. Mm -hmm. Now, I think a lot of people relate to evangelism like that. So they basically have this thought process of, am I going to get enough to make it worth my time? Now, although we want to be as effective as we can be and be smart and do everything we, we do intelligently, and, and I'm not against that, coming up with plans that are really smart and intelligent and all that, I do think that we need to disabuse ourselves of that investor mindset and realize that if God has called us to do something, we should do it 100%. And we may not mm. be perfect at it. We might not have it all figured out. We may not be able to guarantee success. We may be just on a journey of faith, of figuring things out as we go, but we should do it and move forward in doing it because God has called us to do it mm. because it's a labor of love. It's an act of worship. It's, obe it's obeying the God that we claim to love who saved us. And I think God is watching us. And when he sees in us this investment mindset, I think he's a bit hesitant to bless us because it's all about us. Mm. It's about what we risk, what we have to give, what we're going to get out of it. And when we're doing evangelism like that so selfishly, I just don't think God can bless us. If we're just business investing with our time, I'll give this much time if I get this much result. I'll give this much money if I get this much result. And God's just standing there going, I thought you guys loved me. I thought you loved people, right? If you don't love your brother who you can see, then you don't love me who you yeah. can't see. And if you don't love your brother enough to move forward, then anyway, so we're basically done for time, but I, I said, I'm going to let you wrap us up. But I think that's a powerful point yeah. that we need to consider. A common mistake is doing evangelism like we're business investors. Absolutely. And, and Jesus, I, I think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Jesus doesn't say, well done. He doesn't say, well done. He doesn't say, he doesn't, he doesn't say well done, good and successful servant. He doesn't say that. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you five talents. You invested that and you have given me five more. I gave you two talents. You invested that and you've given me two more. But the third servant, the one that's a slothful, lazy servant, the one that's, the one that's judged in the negative, the one that's ultimately lost, what does he do? He buries that, that talent that God gave him, uh, well, that the master gave him, who is God or Jesus, and, and he's rebuked for bearing it. So the issue isn't how many baptisms that we have, whether it's one or whether it's 101. That is not what's at play. That's not what heaven looks upon. Because if it went, if it went by the numbers, the devil would be the winner. If it went by the numbers at the time of the flood, he would have been the winner. At the second coming, he would be the winner because we know it's only going to be a remnant, a small group that will be faithful 
to Jesus Christ at the end of time. So what God is looking for, he's looking for people who are willing to, like you said, put their whole heart, soul, strength, mind into living a lifestyle of evangelism. And the word evangelism, it comes to us, it's the word good news, to be a share of the good news. So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we do it all to the glory of God. We do it all to reflect his character. That's his glory, his character, to represent Jesus Christ and his character, to cry out as John the Baptist cried out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here is Christ. This is what he's done in my life. Going back to what we said at the early church, and they were faithful and God blessed them and he multiplied because they were faithful, not because they were successful. Success is a term that comes to us from the world, that comes to us from business circles and and academia and whatever, success, but God is in the business of being faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. It speaks of God's end time people. It says here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus or faith in Jesus. They, They have that same faithfulness that Jesus Christ had. And Jesus Christ was faithful. He would have gone to the cross just for one person, if one person would have reached out to him and accepted his gift of salvation. He didn't come to this earth. He didn't go to the cross because he had so many. He had a quota. Okay, we're going we're gonna to have 100 million that are going to accept this gift of salvation. Okay, you know, if there's less, we're not going to, there's no point. No, for one person, for God's sake, that he gave his that whosoever, that whosoever is one person. Mm-hmm. And so that, that needs to be our aim in whatever we do just to continue to point people to Christ, whether it be in a public aspect, whether it be privately, just every day, and God will bless us if we are faithful and if we are doing it with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Excellent. Thank you, Danny. And uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. We look forward to catching you guys next week. We hope that what we shared can be practically useful for you. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Oftentimes, success is found after a long string of mistakes and learning and growing with Jesus. God bless you guys. We'll, we'll see you next week.